Well, it seems like it's often around Easter time, every few years or 10 years, you'll hear the story on the news that some famous archeologist found the bones of Jesus in an ossuary somewhere in Palestine. An ossuary is a, uh, usually made out of a, usually a more precious stone. It's a box where after a person's body decomposed for a year, they then take their bones and they put it in there. Usually people with a little uh, means do that kind of thing. And then they put it in the family kind of tomb cave uh, so that their family can all spend eternity <laughs> in that little box. And so it always makes me uh, want to ask a question, and I, I think I ask it maybe just about every year of you. Would it make a difference to you if someone found the bones of Jesus and we can prove that they were his bones? <laughs> Some of you aren't sure. You're like, is this a trick question? Well, yeah, the answer is yes. It would absolutely make a difference. The Apostle Paul reflected on that kind of idea, possibility, and in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 14, he said it like this. And if Christ has not been raised, this is, I took this personally, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, and I want to tell you now, fallen asleep, code word for dead. Uh, So don't misunderstand that. It'll probably come up again today. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead and you've put all this effort into being a follower of Jesus, you are dumb. (laughs) You have wasted your life thinking that something was going to happen for you beyond this life. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, there is nothing beyond this life. So Paul goes on and says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, and you know what that means now. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, meaning back, all those who belong to him. Now, I think it's important that we kind of understand what are we talking about when we talk about resurrection, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Because we're not talking about resuscitation. Lots of people throughout history have been, will be resuscitated, meaning they died, they came back, and then they died again. Because it was the same life continuing, they just got lucky uh, and came back for a while. We're not talking about ISIS Uh, In uh, Greek mythology, this mythological figure uh, who rose uh, from death into life. And we're not talking about a metaphor for spiritual experience or kind of like a spiritual life where, yeah, Jesus died and he rose from the dead, meaning his spirit lives on and maybe can be experienced by people. But 
Jesus, Jesus, he's dead. I can tell you this about resurrection. It's something very hard to believe. Very hard to believe. Probably if you've read the Bible at all, you, you see different religious groups during Jesus' day. One of them was the Sadducees, very powerful, significant uh, religious sect. They did not believe in the resurrection. They thought it's incomprehensible. How can anybody be raised from the dead? And so they didn't believe it. And you'll notice in the Gospels, they try to trick Jesus from time to time like with things like, well, John was married to Mary, and uh, John died, and then Mary married Joe. When they're in heaven, which one's her husband? As a trick question, Jesus answered it really well. Jesus' first followers struggled terribly with the idea that Jesus was raised from the dead, even though he mentioned it a number of times while he was with them. And so you have some experiences recorded in the New Testament, and I'm just going to refer you to a few of those so you see it. One of them is in Mark 16. It's the only one I'm going to give you the text, uh, verses 9 through 14. And it says this, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping. That tells you something right there. He's dead. They figure he's dead. And told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Like, no way. Well, then you might remember the story. Uh, it's in Luke 24. Two guys decided they're going for a walk. And uh, Jesus had been crucified, and it was like all over. And uh, this other guy joins them on their walk, and he asks if he can go with them. And they're like, yeah. Now, honestly, I can't explain why they did not recognize that it was Jesus. They would later. But, you know, there's also this reality in our lives. If you are sure that you see what you see, you can't see what's actually there. You'd swear to it. And also, if you're absolutely certain that Jesus is dead. Well, here, tell me this. If you know somebody really well who died, you were at their funeral, you buried them, and somebody came to you and said, hi, I'm back. Would you believe them? No. Jesus' disciples did not believe that he had raised from the dead. One of the times Jesus appeared to the apostles, but Thomas wasn't there. So after he comes back, they're all telling him, Jesus is alive, he appeared to us. He's like, no, I don't believe it. I won't believe it unless he's standing in front of me and I can put my hand in the wounds in his side and his hands, because this is stupid, it did not happen. And then Jesus appears when Thomas is there and says, okay, Thomas, put your hands in. And Thomas falls on the ground and goes, my Lord and my God, I'm so sorry that I couldn't believe that. A little later, Jesus appears to all the apostles when they're eating together, and it says he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. They did not believe Jesus was raised from the dead. It made no sense. It couldn't happen. For them, if resurrection was going to occur, everything they knew and they believed 
Everybody would be raised at the same time. It'd be the end of the world, the end of history, and everybody who belonged to God would be raised from the dead. One man is not going to be raised. It just doesn't work that way. Yet it's the only thing that explains what happened after. That the tomb was empty, and we still haven't found the bones 2,000 years later. It doesn't, nothing else explains the bodily appearances to Mary, to Peter, to James, to the apostles, to the two guys on the road, and we're told 500 other people saw Jesus after. It's the only thing that explains Paul, who calls himself one out of time, who the resurrected Lord appeared to him. And you all know about Paul. He did not believe that Jesus was from God. He thought Christianity was a heresy, undermining Judaism. He got permission to arrest Christians and put them in prison until the resurrected Jesus reveals himself to Paul. And he realizes, I was wrong. And it totally changed his life. I mean, like, what could explain how so many people at the Vineyard Church of Houston could be dressed up on a Sunday morning? <laughs> but Easter. Now, I'm telling you guys, first service was dressed a lot more than you guys. <laughs> there were a lot of suits and ties, two bow ties. And what it says is, what, what happened? So, something's going on. This is not normal. This is out of the usual. Something really big must have happened. It did. Jesus was raised from the dead, and we know it, and we're trying to figure out a way to say, life is not what we thought. It's not what you thought. Something happened that no one imagined, and it has an effect on people that's beyond anything anyone ever thought was possible and that is Jesus is alive. I was thinking about my own life just kind of coming to me this morning. I thought nothing else explains how an Italian kid from South Philly who came to the conclusion that God was not in Jesus Christ and spent 14 to 18 years old taking psychedelic drugs, reading existential philosophy, engaging in political marches, And then Jesus tapped me on the shoulder sitting in class in high school and said, you're coming back. And I did. And Jesus, I realized, was alive and I was wrong. God was in him, is in him, and my life has just been totally, unbelievably I don't know what words to use, because I know this is a dumb word, magical, a mystery, out of this world, that I could be a follower of Jesus for 47 years and serve in a church as a pastor for 40 years? No one could ever imagine it. Just like you can't imagine Jill as a raving alcoholic, that found sobriety for the past 19, 20 years. When you realize that Jesus is alive and he walks into your life, something will happen.
And even you might wear a bow tie next week. <laughs> Someone, uh, my birthday was Friday, and there were a lot of people that, that I know from various times and places, including people I know from elementary school, were posting things on my Facebook, and somebody posted this cartoon. I don't see any signs of aging, do you, Jim? No, maybe it's a new kind of life form. <laughs> and I thought, yes, that is exactly what Jesus is resurrected, a new kind of human life form. He is one who is absolutely untouchable by sin and can no longer die and is in this totally transformed existence that he will live in eternally, fully present to the Father, restored to union with him, has been granted all the power in the cosmos and all the universes that we're discovering. Yeah, it's a new form of life, a new life form. Not alien, but human. And everyone who comes to know Jesus and participates in him will take on that new life form and we'll find ourselves in this transformation that will culminate one day with us having bodies like his and we will eternally be embodied people like Jesus. Wow, no wonder we don't know how to celebrate Easter. What do you do that like catch, catches that or captures that? What can you say? What music can you play? What decorations can you put out? What can you do that captures the magnificence that God raised Jesus from the dead and he'll raise you too? So we try. One of the things I've noticed in scripture, there's kind of like this pattern and it starts right in the beginning before creation as we know it where it says in Genesis 1, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. The world found itself in darkness, in chaos, and in emptiness. And then God introduces himself into the picture. And what's the first thing he says? Let there be light. And there was light in the first day. This is what God does. He reverses the chaos and the darkness and the emptiness in the world and in people's lives. And he brings his light and his power that totally rearranges our lives. But he needed the resurrection to be able to do that fully and completely for us. Why? Because we blew it. And we decided we could do just as well without God and the world again fell under darkness into chaos and emptiness entered people's lives. And God was determined to correct it, to change it and to make it right forever. And he did it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I wrote in him, is the reintroduction of a human being that's completely grounded in God, free from the powers of evil, and a new source of life for the world. That's what we have in Jesus. 
Paul says this in Romans 5. I, I'm going to read all the verses. Okay, I'll give you the longer version. It says this in Romans 5, 15. If one man sin, and realize here, he's talking about the first man, Adam, and he's making a comparison about the effect of Adam's sin and the effect of Jesus' death and resurrection. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between the death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breakthrough recovery life makes? Sovereign life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right that the one man Jesus Christ provides. Fortunately for us, he says, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. The reason we celebrate in unison and need to and need to recognize both the death and resurrection of Jesus is because in dying, yes, he conquered sin and took away guilt and he overcame the power of death, but it was in his resurrection that he then created a new world, came into a new life, became a new form of humanity who could live in God's new creation for all eternity. We need his death and his resurrection and where Adam set in motion everything destructive that's been in the world, Jesus reversed it. But it's like he, he blew back the wave of death and darkness and pain and suffering and sickness. And by his power from his being raised from the dead, he is reversing the order of our world and the condition of those who live in it. And when we trust him and put our identity in him, the effects of it become personal for us. And they begin working on us. So Paul said this, and I'll read this to you in Romans 6. For you who welcome him, you in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. And he's saying that you will have a body like Jesus now has that can't be harmed, can't be destroyed, won't fall into sin, can't be overcome by any powers, and will never see death again. We are going to get one of those. And I'll bet it will even be better looking than the bodies we have right now. 
Okay, I'm speaking for all of us. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life, which, let me just stop. So people who do not know Christ think to become a Christian is like a death knell. All the fun is sucked out of your life. All the joy is sucked out of your life. No more party, no more beauty, no more delight. It's a totally opposite. It's like an infusion of life that comes into our minds, our hearts, and our bodies. And though we still struggle and suffer, there is a transforming life that is growing within us that will find its completion one day. And you will be like Jesus. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father, children. And we know we're gonna get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. Actually like that Peterson translated it that way. Come on. In our normal life, if somebody says, you're going to get what's coming to you, what does that mean? You are in trouble, man. It's over. I don't want what's coming to me. I'm, I'm running. I'm staying away. I remember one time, uh, my younger, well, my brother Anthony and I, we were kids, and this kid wanted to beat us up. So we ran. And we could only stay away till 5 o'clock because if we weren't home for dinner, my mother would beat us. We didn't know what to do because if we came back, we were going to get what's coming to us from this kid. And if we didn't, we were going to get it from my mother. The surprise is what's coming to us from God is life, is love, is joy, is healing, is transformation. And when God gets hold of you, he doesn't grab you by the scruff of the neck. He wraps his arms around you. And you say, oh my God, why have I stayed away all this time? I was totally wrong. He loves me. He raised Jesus for me. He's been waiting for me. And all he has is amazing love and life to allow me to join with in him and to partner with him. It comes over time, you know. If you know me, you know I'm not a perfect person, even after all these years. There was, uh, I was reading a book by Clark Pinnock, and he mentioned the Eastern Orthodox uh, kind of used this language to help us kind of get a handle on what's going on. And they talked about the difference between the created image and the acquired likeness. Because scripture says that when you come into Christ, you're a new person. We are made new. But we all know we're in the process of changing and being transformed. We've taken on the creative image of Jesus and we are acquiring his likeness. I was thinking about it like this, how maybe, I think I differentiate this one. If I said, you're the spitting image of your mother, 
you would mean I'm primarily focusing on you. You look like her. I would, I could think she's you, your hair, your face, the shape of your face. But if I said she's just like her mother, that encompasses so much more. It's like I see her heart in you, her personality, her temperament, the way she does things, even interests she has. When we come to Christ because he's been raised from the dead, we take on the created image of Jesus. And through our life with him, we are acquiring his likeness till one day in the final resurrection of all those who were in him, we will be like him. And John in 1 John says, when we see him, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. I think I'm pretty good now. I can't imagine the instantaneous and spontaneous transformation of glory that will come into our lives when we see him face to face having been raised from the dead. So the question is, if all this is true, what do we, what do, we do? So I went to Acts chapter 2 on a very interesting day where the main group of Jesus' followers had been waiting around because he, he told them, don't go anywhere. I'm going to send my spirit to you and just wait. And when they did, crazy things happened and people were gathered around probably like you looking at me, looking at these guys. What is going on? And Peter explains that though they killed Jesus, God raised him from the dead. And in verse 37, the people respond and says, cut to the quick. Those who were there listening asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? We who took his life, but now know that he has been raised from the dead. What do we do? And Peter says, I want to give you this first part in two translations. Repent. Turn away from what you thought was real and right and how God works and what your life is about and how you're going to live it and turn towards him. Peterson, trying to capture that in his translation, says, change your life. Turn to God and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ so your sins are forgiven and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit got to do with Easter? Everything. Because Jesus is alive, was raised from the dead, and he becomes that life-giving person. When we come to him and know him, he gives us his spirit so that he actually lives in us. And scripture says, I think somewhere in Romans, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And it's the spirit that will bring us back from the dead someday. Surrender, accept, embrace, say yes, make yourself available to him. It doesn't seem like that should work, you know? It works. It works. I've seen it in many. I know it for myself who just said, okay, Jesus, you really are alive. You really are the son of God. 
you really are the Lord of the cosmos and want to be Lord of my life, you really are changing everything, then okay, I'm in. And boom, I was in. And I was worshiping and singing and just overwhelmed with joy. And in fact, for the next two weeks, I was so, I knew it in these terms, I was so high, I literally prayed, Jesus, please let me come down because I cannot function like this. And when he comes into your life, then what? And I, I want to wrap it up with this. And I kind of see, well, I'll read this quote, and you can think about it after. And then I want to show you something else. Salvation is the spirit who indwells us, drawing us into participation in the life of God. Salvation is not just I get to go to heaven, I have to be good, you know, I have to go to church. It's sharing in the very life of God. And I just kind of see it in two ways. It's sharing in his love. I mean, it's knowing him. I mean, actually knowing God. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 3. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Well, then he's praying this, so let me say it this way. And then you will have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep his love is. And you will experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Which is pretty awesome. And you also get to partner with him in bringing this to other people. And announcing good news and bringing life and praying for the sick and sharing how your life has changed and bringing justice to people's lives and being part of God's transformation of individuals, of families, of societies, of nations. Because he went on to say in Ephesians 2.10, for we're God's masterpiece. I wish you believed that. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is an awesome life. This is not a boring going to church, praying. Well, I like praying. Reading the Bible, I like that even more. But that probably sounds boring to a lot of people. Okay, are you telling me when Jesus raised from the dead comes into your life, what you do is you go to church and you're a good person? <laughs> That's about all we can work up to for ourselves. No, it is absolutely transformational and you are invited into this purpose and mission for your life that you could never do apart from him. I knew as a kid, I was looking for a transformational way of life where I could impact my society. Something could happen to me that would make me so different, that would capture my imagination, that I would give my life to it forever. And when Jesus came into my life, that is exactly 
what happened. And that's what will happen to you if it hasn't already. We get to join Jesus in overturning the darkness, removing chaos from people's lives, and bringing fulfillment where there's been emptiness. Uh, I'd like you to stand. I'm wrapping this up right here. I want to do something. I want to read this verse as a uh, part of a blessing, and then I want to just close with a blessing for you. But I want to say this. The invitation and the reality that Jesus is alive and was raised from the dead is for you to open your life to him and let what he's done be done in you. I mean, that's really where it's all going and what it's about. And so I I just want to encourage you today, I don't know where you are with what you've understood about God, what you thought about Jesus, if you thought it was important for you or not, it would make any difference in your life. And I encourage you, however you can, just to open your heart and tell them, hey, could you do in me what you've done in Jesus? All right, before John 20, I want to pray. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to pray it in the first person. Like for me, if it makes sense to you, pray it for yourself. Okay? Jesus, I tried lots of things. Nothing really worked. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to do in me what has been done in you. I'm asking you to open my eyes to see you for who you are and to be able to enjoy your love for me. And I want a purpose that keeps me to the day I die. I want having lived to have made a difference, not only for myself, but for others. And I ask you, give me your Holy Spirit to live in me, to transform me, to heal me, to give me power to live this Jesus way. And I tell you, I am able, I will follow you all of my life. I will do what you ask. And I know I'll like it. Thank you. Amen. So let me read this. It says, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. I'm sorry, this is a... Again, he said, and this is what he says to you, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them. He's breathing on you. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say, the Lord, the risen Jesus is with you. <laughs> Thank you. You guys are funny. <laughs> hey, have a great week. Enjoy the rest of this Easter day, and I will see you next week. Bless you.